Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of PLP Talks, where we have interesting conversations with interesting people in the bike industry. I'm your host, Russ Roca. And if you're new to the series, this is actually the podcast version of our YouTube interview series. This podcast and the video series is supported by listeners like you. So if you want more interviews like this, be sure to check out how to support this podcast in the show notes. Have you ever wanted to start your own bike brand? Well, in this episode, we talked with Matt from Crest Bikes, who did just that with apparently no more than an iPod touch. If you're not familiar with Crest Bikes, they're really unique bikes. Think Monster Cross Rando Bikes. In this interview, we talk about some of the ups and downs of being a one-person bike brand, and also what it's like to bring things to the market that you believe in or you think is unique, but the bike industry won't touch at all. Matt is immensely funny, and you guys will definitely enjoy this episode. So put on your earbuds, go walk the dog, hop on the bike trainer, or pretend like you're working at your desk. It's okay, we won't tell. Enjoy the show. So welcome, Matt, from Press Bike. So howdy. Thanks, Ross. Yeah. Happy to be here. I actually postponed an interview with Oprah Winfrey for this, so I'm psyched to be here. Yes. <laughs> and so let's uh, start off. Like, why, from the very beginning, why did you want to start Crest Bikes? Um, just because there wasn't a bike I wanted yeah. in the professional world. So I was touring in Nepal with my friend Goat at the time, and I had a modified Surly Crosscheck that I'd like put a one-by-one one fork on and put a three-inch tire in the front and as wide a tire as I could fit in the rear. And I had like changed the dropouts to accommodate a roll-off and stuff. So it was basically a completely different bike. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this would be a sick bike if it was different. <laughs> <laughs> so then when I was on that tour, I came up with the evasion and um, started like messaging people from my uh, iPod Touch. I didn't have a phone at the time whenever <laughs> I could find Wi-Fi. And uh, yeah, by the time that trip was over, Crust was kind of in motion. Wow. And then it, it snowballed into the, the shit show it is now. <laughs> so for, for those who aren't familiar with uh, your your bike style or the just describe the evasion and what you added to it that was kind of lacking in the industry at the time so the evasion is it's it's basically like a randonneur style bike it's not low trail it's mid trail but um it has all the rack like brazons and there's it's just a standard triangle there's not like a, a load of stand over like a lot of the bikes back then were doing and it wasn't suspension corrected like most bikes back then were mm-hmm. and it um could it can fit a three inch wide tire in 26 platform or a 27 tire for whatever you want really so yeah nothing at the time nothing like that existed so and that's what i wanted <laughs> so, <I'm there>. <laughs> <laughs> So has it become kind of like uh, your your playground for bikes that you wish existed and no one's creating? Yeah, pretty much. Um, all bikes that my friends want. So most bikes have been, um, there's zero compromise in them for what, what I or want, one of my friends wants. So the scapegoat's like goat signature bike and it's exactly what he wants with all his eccentricities. <laughs> and then the Rome answer is the same and we all know 
Poppy's pretty out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the invasion's like my brainchild. And then the dreamer frame is Darren, my uh, friend who makes the US made stuff. That's kind of his brainchild. And yeah, so it's pretty cool. All the bikes I really like. And everyone's, all the different people involved in like getting their dream bike makes it fun as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one thing that's really kind of uh, I think fascinating me about Crest is like I've always had you know kind of drunken conversations with friends, and we do our own bike designs, uh, but it would kind of end at that like back of the envelope drawing. Uh, but it seems like you're you're fulfilling like a lot of these uh, interesting uh, bike desires. Yeah, so it's basically what keeps it fun for me is like just constantly doing new things. The rest of the side of the business. I could do without. <laughs> I guess you got to do the crappy stuff with the fun stuff. That's any job. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride. I definitely jumped in the deep end. Yeah. So how does one start a bike brand from scratch? Get an iPod Touch <laughs> and some crappy Wi-Fi in Nepal. You'll be good to go. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. I get like it just kind of it fell into place. Like it's obviously had major headaches, and it's been a <laughs> severe life adjustment for me because now like, I used to just travel all the time, and now I'm shackled to this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just I don't know. If you want something, you just make it happen. Really. Yeah. I had a lot of good friends. Um, my, some friends in Australia, Rick and Emily, they helped me with like the the art logos because I can't. I can't do any of that stuff personally. I just tell them what I want and they do it and then add to it. So that's helped a lot. Darren, obviously, with the frame building and he did like all the tech drawings for me. Mm-hmm. Goat sporadically stops by and like picks me out of my slum. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, like Poppy's hell. It's just been like a bunch of people like kind of helping me out and it's been pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah. All the negative side, like. I bitch and moan all the time, but that's just my personality. Like, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty, it's pretty unbelievable that it's come this far. To be honest, yeah, yeah. What's the? I guess what's the biggest challenge? Just staying on top of everything at the moment. Like, I'm just a rat on a treadmill. So basically, like, crust is just me for like the day, the d- daily runnings, um, and that, that involves a lot. There's a lot of shipping. There's a lot of back and forth with manufacturers in Taiwan and. A lot of back and like there's so many back and forth emails and um yeah I don't I don't ever stay ahead like I'll come in work twelve hours and I'm still like the inbox is is exactly the same like, <laughs> or more I'm like what the hell is just happened like wait, what's, what am I doing all day like I I think I'm just like the most inefficient person on earth so I focus on trying to be efficient and I'm like nothing changes like it doesn't. I just need, yeah, I don't know. That's the that's the biggest problem. I never, I can never <laughs> stay on top of anything. Yeah, so that kind of just some anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like I think I've got eight different models at the moment, and it's like a one man show. So it's pretty, it's pretty hard to stay on top of stuff. Yeah, out of um, all the the bikes and friends that you offer, what what are like the top two or three that that sell the best? Uh, the best sellers would be the, the, um, probably the evasion and the romancer. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, that's just cause that's what I have in stock most of the time, I guess. It's kind of, it's really hard to keep stock as well because there's big lead times and I don't have like 
I don't have a, a bank balance really to pay for stuff up. <laughs> another problem. Yeah. yeah. But they're probably the most popular frames. Yeah. What's uh so have you been, I guess, surprised at how the bikes have been received? Um Yeah, for sure. I'm just surprised that people heard about it, I guess. Yeah. I'm pretty confident of all the designs. I knew if people wrote them, I'd be into them. Mm-hmm. But but that's not really that's not even a, like a five percent of the battle. Yeah. Because there's so much stuff out there now. Just to make people see your stuff is pretty difficult. And then to have uh, people open-minded enough to drop such a large chunk of change on something they've probably never tried before. Right. Is also obviously a pretty big demand. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to buy one, I'd never see one. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty amazing that people have found it. Yeah. And I'm really happy with the, I guess the happiest thing that I enjoy the most is like how it's kind of become like this community of people. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty like that really spins me out. I'm really happy that that <laughs> happened. That was my goal intentionally. So, yeah. Like not intentionally, but what I wanted to create was like this place where anyone's welcome and there's no judgment and you can just like, meet other people if you don't if you don't have anyone to tour with because most of the time i used to tour alone and i was like it'd be sweet it'd be fun to have someone to tour with i, yeah. I could never find anyway so i basically started the company because i had no friends <laughs> <laughs> that's an so expensive that's- way to do it <laughs> <laughs> and now i just see social butterflies that's worked out great <laughs> so yeah, what, well, what, what do you think it is about crust that attracts these people I have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> I, have, I have absolutely no idea. I um, maybe it's because it's something real. I don't know because I'm not like, I'm not marketing anything besides myself. I guess like every like all the Instagram or whatever, it's just whatever's going on in my head. Right. And maybe maybe I don't know if that can translate into over into the digital world but maybe it does i don't know it's it's authentic i'm not making anything up i'm not trying to fit a mold i'm not trying to do something because i think it's going to sell good i just do what i want and maybe people see that's that's something that's real and that that kind of is rare i think in marketing today it's normally just a bunch of hoopla Mm -hmm. i don't know that could be it but i really don't know (laughs) 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 other people i guess (laughs) So, uh, most of your marketing has been like just purely through Instagram, or have you tried do other kind of forms of digital or print? Or yeah, it's just all Instagram and word of mouth. Um, I hit up, I've hit like people up to do tests, and um, some people like write back wanting money to do a test, and I'm like, that doesn't sound like a review. That sounds like a paid advertisement. Mm-hmm. So that I, that was kind of weird. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just um, Instagram, basically. When Instagram is no longer cool, Cross will basically collapse. <laughs> <laughs> I can't figure out how to use Snapchat. It's so confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like what, I, what I've heard from uh, most uh, small makers. Uh, surprisingly, like Instagram has been like their best um, kind of marketing tool just because you know, it's, it's kind of... It's low cost, it's free, uh, but you're yeah. still able to reach, um, you know, kind of that tribe of people that would be interested in the, the same interest. 
yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool like it's it's got a lot of negatives as well everyone's just staring at their screens all the time and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um but if it's used how social media was intended i guess and it's good because you, you can meet you meet people you know mm -hmm. it's like instagram's like the the tinder for cyclists right <laughs> <laughs> you meet so many people because of it it's, it's great so i'm all for it even if i wasn't trying to sell stuff i'd still be into it because of all the people you can meet yeah yeah, yeah. we just uh, interviewed uh whitney and she had brought up that point like you know we it's it's easy to forget it's easy to forget that social media is supposed to be social you know that yeah. it's, it's supposed to be a tool where you can find other like-minded people and and connect and uh, oh. I think especially Instagram kind of has, um, you know, people are trying to monetize it and it becomes too much of a, a sales front. So some people do forget that, you know, you can use it to just, you know, reach out to, to folks and, and interact. Yeah. Yeah. For that, it's really great. Yeah. So, so what is, um, I guess, what would be the, the best case scenario for Crust? Uh QVP or Specialized or something like that just like throws me a billion dollars and says we're taking it and I'll be yeah. like hell yeah I'm selling out see <laughs> <laughs> you guys later and I'll take an evasion and go back to surf touring <laughs> that would be the ideal uh, thing yeah <laughs> yeah I don't know I, hopefully I, I have no idea to be honest I'm just going to keep doing it until I'm sick of it, and then I'm just going to close it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and go back to living a stress-free life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't really think that far ahead. Yeah. Yeah, which I probably should. But <laughs> don't, I don't have my graphs up and stuff in the office. <laughs> well, I was, you know, like with, like with the kind of that scenario that you, you were just talking about, um, in some ways it wouldn't be too far-fetched. You know, like, because I feel like some larger brands acquire smaller brands if it's like distinct or they see enough uh, possibility for that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I think what's kind of interesting about um, what you're doing is you're making these bikes and you're taking all these risks that like the bigger bike brands are just not going to touch until they see someone do it and be successful, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. So then they, yeah, it's kind of weird. The, the bike industries are pretty cutthroat place yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i can understand why you know like the bigger companies would see they would see what smaller companies are doing and i'd be like well all these smaller companies are succeeding all the owners are super rich which obviously i am <laughs> they, they would just want to get a part of that cash i'm like well you can have it because i'm super rich right now so take it <laughs> take my side <laughs> i don't care anymore so yeah it's, it's all fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you guys are listening to this just as a podcast, you're missing out on the piles of money right behind Matt. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like to exfoliate with $100 bills. <laughs> so do you, have you seen like any other larger brands maybe like borrow like some kooky idea that you've come up with and, and start to see it in, in production? Oh, yeah, I think I have, but yeah. it could just be coincidental. Um. It could just be the 30 voices of paranoia in my head. I don't know. <laughs> so, I won't go into it too much because yeah. I sound too much like a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. 
it is one of those things where you, you never really know. You know, you don't know if like they're actually watching and they're you know incorporating that, or it's just something in the larger zeitgeist, and people are just coming to yeah. the same conclusion about okay, this is the the right bike for the right time or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, no, it's, and it's just, and everyone does it. Like I borrow, like I've, if Surly didn't bring out that twenty six by three inch tire cross, wouldn't exist. You know. So, yeah, we're all we're all taking certain facets from someone else mm-hmm. some just some people do it more blatantly than others right. and seem to have ethics about it but that's that's the business world we live in yeah it is it is a capitalistic society we just want to feed off it <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to stop it yeah. <laughs> so you've been in uh, business for uh as crest for three years is it um now that you're in the thick of it, is it different from how you imagined it would be from the beginning? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I thought I figured I'd like be making, doing a well. Originally, I thought I'd do. I didn't even know if I'd get to like a full run of evasions when I first started. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it went to a full run, I was like, like "All right, this is pretty sweet. I'm just going to do one run of evasions a year." And I'll sell out in however X amount of time, and then I'll travel the rest. Um, and it hasn't been like that since I started cross. I don't. I basically don't travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't work out as planned. <laughs> but I, I still, I still live in hope. <laughs> yeah. One day. Yeah. One day. One day. <laughs> I'll have minions doing my dirty work. <laughs> So why, I guess, why did you branch out beyond the, the evasion? Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I just, I guess because of the lead times from when you have, like, when you have an idea from your head and it's all down on paper and then it's finally at production and the production run arrives, that's like a minimum one year time. Okay. So in that span of one year, like, my my mind's, He's just still running like crazy. Like any bike nerd, you're like, oh, this would be sweet, and just keeps running and running. And then you're bored, basically. So next thing you know, you've got like six frames coming and <laughs> the bottom and all these other parts. And yeah, just it just snowballed. And then by that stage, it was too late. Like I was in, I was in too deep. <laughs> so I just, had, I just had to keep doing it to try and get myself out of the hole. But yeah. it doesn't seem to work. Like I just keep going deep in the hole. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so I guess boredom was the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about like a production timeline. So from uh, your initial conception of a bike to the bike landing, you know, um, in your hands, that's that's a mm. year? Best case scenario. It depends on how, um, how many samples you have to go through as well to get it right. Um, and then sometimes... I have a guy I've done a lot of products that haven't seen the light of day. So, because I just, I can't get it to the standard that I want. And I just, you, you kind of need to know when to pull the pin mm-hmm. and just go into like a place where you could, it's just like, like the handlebars, they're a prime example. Like, I put so much money in these. <laughs> yeah, I still don't have them. You know? <laughs> that's, been, that's been over two years, I think. So, you'd think a handlebar would be pretty straightforward, but. It's it's got its um every product has its glitches. If you're trying to do something out of the norm, then it's going to be a headache basically. So 
and base and I feel like most products I do are out of the norm, so everything's been a headache. Um, yeah, it's just now I understand why. Like I used to, you know, be the person that walked into the bike shop or would look online all the time and be like, "Wonder why they did it like that? That's so dumb. Why didn't they do it like this?" And now I know because all those little things I used to say, "Why didn't they do it like this?" It's just like absolute headache and costs a fortune too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's crazy. Like just this, the smallest adjustments can really add up to like the the retail price of a frame. Mm-hmm. So, can you can you to, can you give an example of like what like a small change that? Um, like anything. If you if you do if you do a chain stay a certain way, and then you realize you don't want it that way, you've got to repay for all the tooling, and then there's uh, all all the expenses of like you're getting the samples out here. So all those samples are basically useless at that point. And then you've got the, the, the delay in time as well. And as you know, Russ, time is money. Money's time. We've got to get those units to move. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just like, it's just everything. And then certain things cost more, certain things cost less, but mm, it's been, it's been interesting. Um, like getting your own, like your own cra- like lugs or something made. I've I've just got fork fork crowns made now, mm-hmm. and that, that was quite expensive. I didn't realize how expensive that was. Like, if you look at a Rivendell and all their lugs are their own lugs, it's, it's an insane amount of money. Like you hear people bitchy about the cost of a Rivendell, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> the amount of money spent on lugs is like mind-boggling. So you're like, this is why the frame cost is large because they didn't compromise what they wanted. So you can see like certain companies that just get stuff like out of the open source brochure. That's why it costs that much money. Mm-hmm. And compared to other companies like Rivendell who are like forging all their own lugs, it's like, yeah, it's, it's night and day, the, the cost difference. <clears throat> so has like, I, I imagine like getting in the actual bike production business, it's probably completely changed your perspective of how you look at bikes. Yeah, completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I still appreciate, like, most bikes. Um, I guess I, I wouldn't say I'm more cynical or less cynical. I just see it in different eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like um, you, you have a certain amount of knowledge that, like, the armchair, like, bike designer probably doesn't have into, like, production, production costs and and, and why yeah. a company would, would do something that way. I definitely wouldn't claim to know more about bike design and a lot of the armchair. <laughs> like, um, but I, I probably know a little bit more about the, the headaches involved in doing certain things. Yeah, until you've done that firsthand, I guess you, how would you know? Yeah. yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about um, these handlebars that keep coming up. <laughs> why, <laughs> why, wh- like what's the, why are they uh, being so difficult to, to produce? Um, hang on a sec. I just need to grab a few Valium. Hang on, wash them down. <laughs> it's a tough subject to bring up. If I start crying, I apologize. <laughs> uh, it's just because uh, they're so wide. So to get the to get the uh, to get them at a reasonable weight and have the budding in the right spot and have them pass testing, um, it's not a it's not a thing that's been done before in a drop bar. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it's just an unknown entity, I guess. So, and then 
crust being what it is, we don't have we. I don't have <laughs> I don't have like engineers with you know NASA experience to do computer modulated stress testing. I just have to get a handlebar made and then test it the old fashioned way. Mm-hmm. So that's probably a, a main reason as well. If it was a bigger company and they've got a, a room full of engineers or something. Well, I guess no bike company's got a room full of engineers, but a engineer <laughs> with the it would be a lot easier. Right. But I'm just the old fashioned way of kind of um, guessing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. when you um, like when you design something that's like so out of the box, like the handlebars or some of your frames, do um, the people that are making them and testing them just go? What the hell is this? Or are they pretty yeah. amenable to your request? Yeah, they, they they will do it, but they they definitely question what the hell I'm doing. They're like, what is? They they sent the drawing back initially. They were like, is this right? Like these are so white. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's not. It's definitely. I definitely get questioned a lot when I'm in Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that's good that's that's when i know i'm on the right track <laughs> <clears throat> cool so how how wide what how wide are the bars supposed to be like uh 666 yeah uh, yeah <laughs> at, uh, at the uh hoods the, wider at the flared or, um, oh that's the length at the at the hood so what's the overall length like once you include the, the flares oh a couple of meters yeah. <laughs> at least <laughs> you, need, you need to get arm extensions <laughs> no i'm gonna be they're gonna be in three different sizes the new version okay so cool. go the uh the ultra poppy wide or, or you can go the the mere mortal widths as well yeah, which I prefer. I personally, well, I'm tiny, so like, um, I don't like Poppy's handlebar at the width that he runs. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Troy, um, a friend of his, a fellow nutmega, he runs that really wide handlebar, and he's the same size as me. So, oh, wow. I guess it's just personal taste. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do like a um, a wide handlebar, like a wider drop bar. I run a wider drop bar that exists on the market at the moment aside from like the cross prototyping ones and it's super comfortable even for someone as small as me. Yeah. Yeah. So So that's, that's one interesting thing is like, um, another thing that kind of caught my eye about your frames is because you are, um, like a shorter rider. Like I ride small frames too. Like your, your bikes use, you know, kind of like the full array of wheel sizes to, to kind of match the, the height of the rider. Yeah, yeah. So I just came out with one, um, the Chicho, which is named after my wife, because uh, she's four foot ten. Oh dang! <laughs> so we did uh, a uh, a twenty four inch touring bike. Wow! It can it can run twenty four plus, or it can run a twenty six inch tire, um, and it it's so so sweet. I actually <laughs> want to get one <laughs> just so I can have a huge triangle. But it looks. It looks perfectly perfectly proportioned, so, and it allows you to by running that smaller wheel, you can run, like you can run a uh, Swift Sightgeist bag. Is not gonna you still have to run a support for it, but right. you can actually use it. Where if you're if you're four foot ten or even five foot 
tour when you're trying to run a swift zeitgeist bag on a 700c bike you don't have a chance basically yeah whether you have a rack or not it's like it's just not possible so yeah and then you've got I like a more traditional looking triangle with not too much sloping top tube and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, when you're shorty, you can't, you can't get that. So by just putting a smaller wheel on, you get all that frame triangle. If you want to run a frame bag, you can fit more than a cliff bar in it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and your bike still looks like a normal bike. Yeah. So you can put the luggage on it. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. So... The 24-inch bikes were US-made ones. I only did four of them, and they all sold out. Like, I didn't even really list them. They sold out before I listed them, really. Oh, wow. So I guess there's a demand for it. Yeah. So the bigger companies are listening. There's the hot tip. Go and build some 24-inch touring bikes and make them look normal instead of like a bag of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that... Um... One thing that's always kind of irked me about uh, like the bike packing style bags is if you're a shorter rider, you're kind of SOL. You yeah. Know? Like I feel like okay, this is awesome if you're like you know cast and like six foot ten or yeah. something. <laughs> but <laughs> if you're you know if you ride a small frame, it's you know the frame bag is like it's it's a joke. <laughs> yeah. And like exactly. the seat bag, every time you go on a bump, it's like smacking the tire and everything. Yeah. So it's yeah. cool to to have you know bikes that are proportioned and 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 you don't. Know, sacrifice too much like carrying capacity <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's definitely like especially now with the modern way of like bike touring how we're not not many people are running like the four pennies anymore mm-hmm. it's really pretty crucial to get those saddlebag and handlebar baggers as much capacity as you can so yeah it definitely makes sense to go to the smaller wheel size and hopefully there's like a bunch of 24 inch tires on the market at the moment which are pretty good but it'd be good to for it to get a bit of momentum and have a few more options. Right. What's yeah. the um, what's the outside uh, diameter of that? What would that be equivalent to? Uh, well, it depends on the the volume of the tire, I guess. But it's basically like a a twenty four by like two point seven is about the same as a twenty six by what is that compass I got up there? Twenty six by one seven five. Okay. Cool. So. You um, you still can't run like a – well, on the Chicho frame, you could still run like a 26. I put a rat trap tire, which is 26 2.3, which is a large volume tire, mm-hmm. and that increased the, the standover quite a lot by about an inch. So, yeah, and that, so that means also the bottom bracket and everything went up an inch. So it's uh, – if you're going to run 26, you've got to run a pretty low volume 26. Yeah. Yeah. So how – how long do you think you'll do crust for? I mean, when... I don't know. Every morning I wake up, I'm like, this is it. I'm shutting it down. <laughs> Get your frames now. <laughs> Get it while you can. <laughs> no, it's... Uh... I, guess, I guess a better a better question would be like, what keeps you going? Like when the when you have those moments where like, what did I do? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. It is fun. Like it is fun for sure. And, uh, if I if I could travel and run cross just remotely from the computer, then it would be ideal. And that's really what I'm working towards, just be able to afford to pay someone to do my shipping um, and maybe answer a phone or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be the dream. Um, but at the moment, I can't even afford to pay myself. So 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's probably a ways down the line. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's just I love bikes. I guess that's what makes it mm-hmm. easy because like if I wasn't doing it, I'd still just be online looking at bikes anyway. Yeah. So it's like I might as well just do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You'd still be online, be online saying, they're doing it wrong. Why don't they do it this way? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So, like, aside from, like, the stress of, like, all the financial stuff, it's it's quite enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if you took the finances out of it, like most things, like, money brings the worst out in everyone. So, if I could take that out of it, it would really be fun. Mm-hmm. But, obviously, you can't, you can't take that out of it unless <laughs> – Unless Zuckerberg wants to chuck me a couple of million or something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I should have bought Bitcoin when I had the chance. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's pretty. It's a good job. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've had some uh, interesting uh, collaborations. Um, what's? How does it usually work out? Do they? Does the person come up? Come come to you with their bike design and you refine it, or how does that process work? Um, yeah, so for the scapegoat and the, um, the romance, uh, I really didn't put any restriction on those whatsoever. Um, so like now with the romance, I suggest things just to poppy about slight, slight changes, not angles or anything, just, um, different like dropouts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he either says yes or no. If he if he said no, then I'd just stop making the bike. If he's not if it's not something he wants completely, then there's no point right. having him attached to it. In my opinion, right. like if it's yeah, I'm like yeah, I'm really pretty opinionated about that sort of thing. If I guess it comes like from I used to ride BMX a lot, and in the '90s it was like you know, like my friend's company, terrible one. I, I kind of like reference his company a lot in my own mind about how a company should be. And he's had terrible one for I don't know how long, twenty years or something. He still works another job. Like it's not anything like if it's ever gonna make him money, he just does it out of passion. Mm-hmm. And he's like very moralistic. Like everyone that rides a terrible one rides one because that's what they want. Like they wouldn't go out and buy another bike. And they had like his riders had the opportunity to be sponsored and make a lot of money from other companies and they said no and stayed with him. Right. And like, that's like that's kind of unheard of in big bikes. Like everyone in big bikes is just sold to the highest bidder. Like no one gives a shit. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, <laughs> which is fine. If you want to make, like it's fine. I understand why you would do that. But then uh, I personally wouldn't. And I've been in a position where companies have offered me stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've said no because it's not something I would pay for with my own money. And mm-hmm. I feel if you're like going to promote and support a company and like help them grow, Unless you'd go out and buy it at full price, you shouldn't be doing that because it's basically a lie. Right. Yeah. So I don't know how I even got on this tangent. <laughs> <laughs> so do do you do you feel like you've um, have you been able to to build the bikes that you've you truly want to ride? Like, have you reached that platonic ideal of of a bike that you're striving for? Yeah. Yeah. Every single bike that has come from Cross to I'm so psyched on um even if it's like not for me but like the scapegoat i was like this bike's pretty pretty weird goat. like geez <laughs> man it's like it's a full fat or 27 plus or 29 plus or whatever you want to run it and basically fits anything um <clears throat> and that's personally not a bike i would i would ride because it's the tires are, i think they're too big for me 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I did do a short tour on one, and it was it was so good. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I would write this actually. <laughs> <laughs> Aesthetically, it's not like 100% the aesthetics I like. So that for me, aesthetics is a huge thing with a bicycle. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the same with the like the romancer. I was like, this is a pretty kooky bike, but I really like it. <laughs> um, and I lo- like I love it aesthetically. It's like so nice. And then <clears throat> the I've just come out with a new bike, the Lightning Bolt, which is basically a, a straight randonneur bike. Mm-hmm. Um, Philip Braze, and it looks beautiful. And that's kind of like another bike that I dreamed up. Um, and yeah, it's just nothing like it existed in the production market and I, I think people would like want it um so i got it made you know it's just like everything i've done there's been not any compromise on like what i see or what whoever signature bike it is sees and i think that's something to be proud of right at least like because my mindset is if i get stuck with them and they don't sell at least whoever's bike it is can have a hundred of them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lifetime supply. Yeah, if I got stuck with all the small invasions, I wouldn't. I wouldn't care, you know. <laughs> I want to ride it still, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's say uh, um, uh, some some big brand calls you up and like, Matt, we're going to buy a crust from you. Here's a million bucks or whatever. Where where would the first place be that you would go to tour? Do you have a list that that's been growing in your head while you've been growing the business? Oh, yeah. Um, I really want to go to Sri Lanka. Yeah. Um, it'd basically just be like surf trip, riding trips again. Yeah. So, I don't know, I'd go back to Baja and do that again, even though doing Baja with a bicycle and surfboard kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> I'd go and do it again for sure. Uh, I don't know, if I got like, if they gave me that money, I'd call up friends and be like, where do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So how like uh how how did you carry your surfboard when you were on touring? Was it on the trailer or? Yeah, a lot of the time I used a uh, Farfarer trailer, which um, is how I actually met Darren, who who makes US made frames now and does the drawing. So I met him on on tour and because he was making the Farfarers at the time. Mm-hmm. Now Francis Cycles in Santa Cruz makes them. They're that's probably the best way I found to carry a surfboard, and the trailers are really good because they've got couplings in them as well so you can break it down it fits in a bike box with your full bike oh, so cool. if you're you're flying or something it can all fit in one box which is super handy mm-hmm. um and i also had a custom made Belenki a few years back which was a long tail fat bike mm-hmm. uh, that's actually how i met goat because he had a um long tail fat bike years ago which he rode from alaska to chile on yeah um so i just asked him about the design when i was trying to do that bike yeah um and that was a good way to carry a, a surfboard as well, um, <clears throat> especially if you're carrying like a, a lot of water or something. Like if you're doing Baja and you're trying to surf, you've got to carry 40 liters of water, yeah. which weighs 40 kilos, it's like 80 pounds or something. So it's a lot of weight. So yeah. I think the extra cycles or long tail bikes are better suited to that than a trailer um, just because they like it's just a stiffer platform. Um but then the negative with that was you got this long ass bike. So if you want to, if you want to bike a section or something, you, you need a big ass truck to fit it in. Uh, yeah. So I think the Falfire trailers are, they're just great. Yeah. Is that, is that a single wheel or is that a d- double wheel trailer? 
the single wheel. Yeah. And it, attach, it attaches to the seat post. Um, and it's got like a, uh, the connection of it. It swivels up and down like that and it swivels sideways. So you can like ride single track on it. You can, you can take it off jumps if you want. Like it's, it's <laughs> like it's not even there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like a, it's a, a large diameter wheel trailer, right? Or, uh, the, no, the one I've got is a 20 inch by, it can fit like a 2.4, 2.5 okay. or something. In it. Yeah. Uh, but so for Josh will, um, He'll do like a 20-inch fat if you want. He's de- he's done that before, yeah. So I think he kind of makes them to order so you can get whatever you want Yeah. within reason. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would definitely steer clear of two-wheel trailers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are the worst. <laughs> so there's a um, there's been like a big explosion in off-road touring the last couple of years. Do you have any sense of where it might go? Uh, I don't know. I'm just stuck in an office all the time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's going to go off road. <laughs> Sounds like it already has. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have no idea. Hopefully, people just keep having fun and see like the the enjoyment of disconnecting from screens for a little bit, like. It's my anxiety levels of sitting on a screen 12 hours a day. It's insane how anxious I am now. Yeah. Getting outside and disconnecting from all the, the crap that we choose to ingest mm-hmm. is, is pretty important. It's, it's beyond important. There's a reason why mental health is through the roof. And I, and I, and I think like not connecting with nature is the main cause of that. Right. Uh, so hopefully like, people don't get too caught up in trying to film every trip and take photos of everything and just enjoy it for what it is and just ride and have fun. Right. Right. There is kind of a a cruel irony uh, with the Instagram sometimes where you go on the trip to generally escape, but then there's a compulsion to, to share either because you know, you're, you know, it's part of your business or it's just something that you authentically have an interest in, but it's this weird kind (laughs) of, Kind yeah. of a wrestling match in the head. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's just, I guess, trying to find a balance. Like, that, that's pretty much Poppy's business, and he he's a good one for an example, I'd say. Like, he takes photos and gets all the nice photos, but it doesn't seem to consume the trip for him, you know? Right. Um, obviously, he's, like, pretty much <clears throat> constantly on the road and in a better mental place than a lot of people. So <laughs> it's not like, for him, it's not like a full-on a break because it's kind of his life. Um mm-hmm. But the way he manages to juggle everything is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I think you can still go and obviously take your photos and make little videos and have fun, but it shouldn't be the, it shouldn't be like the, the be all end all of the trip. Right. Just being, just being in the moment with your friends or by yourself. Right. And on your bike, like in nature is the most important thing. I think if we're not doing that, then what's the fucking point? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty of a bike. Like for for me, like my mind is just nonstop, you know, and like just that motion of pedaling is like the simplest form of meditation. Like I can't sit and cross my legs and breathe deeply for half an hour and <laughs> I'd last like one minute. But <laughs> like not even, my mind would be racing in two seconds. But if I'm on the bike, it, eventually like it's, it stills the mind. Like when you're on tour, you'll have those, it takes like 
for me, it takes like four to five days of that transition to settle into the pace of the tour. Mm-hmm. And once you've transitioned into that pace, it's like, it's very freeing and very relaxing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hopefully people see that. Yeah. Well, cool. I think this is an awesome note to uh, end on. Uh, thanks again for joining us. And uh, if you guys uh, like this video, don't forget to like, share, subscribe. If you have suggestions for future guests, leave those in the comments below. And if you have questions uh, for Matt and Chris, leave those in the comments below. Uh, I'll get him to answer them, hopefully. <laughs> and, uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> and thanks again, uh, Matt, for joining us. Thank you. I want to thank Matt again for joining us on PLP Talks. And if you guys like this episode, and if you discovered it through iTunes or whatever RSS feed you use, be sure to rate it and rave about how much you love it. Let's blow up the bikey internets, people. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.